morning. So, um, my name is Terrence Craig. I have the honor of being one of the pastors here. Um, had you known me in the early 70s, you probably wouldn't have seen this path in my life. It would have been, um, I had a friend, Joe, who used to drink vodka the way Kelly drank water. And uh, this was back in high school, and, and you'd see Joe at a party, you'd say, pace yourself, Joe. You might want to slow it down. He'd be, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. And at the end of the night, he wasn't good. And you wouldn't want to be the guy that drove Joe home, right, at the end of the night. But um, Super Bowl's over, right? Super Bowl's done, Super Bowl's over, and uh, pitchers and catchers have reported, and you know what that means? No, it doesn't mean the Phillies are going to win, Beth, okay? There are, there are still delusional people out there. It's crazy. Um, but that's all right. She has hope. There's nothing sadder than a hopeful Phillies fan. But it's, it, there is. It's a Mets fan. But um, what, what, what that means is that spring is coming. And, and, and that's, that's hope, right? The green baseball fields and spring. And um, so I, I, I lead a group called This One Voice. And, and This One Voice, uh, it, the voices we listen to all of our lives, they, they shape the, 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 the way we live our lives and the relationships that we form, and, and, and they sabotage us. And, and so in This One Voice, we identify where those voices came from. And, and we realize that those voices are not true. And so we, we get a new voice, the voice of Jesus Christ in our lives. And when we hear that voice in our life, we get to be the voice of Christ in the lives of others. And the question we ask all the time is, if you could be better, shouldn't you be? And so we work on ourselves. I also uh, lead, along with uh, Lainey uh, Allegretto, I, I lead the, uh, the care team. And um, in the care team, it's, it's really God's love in action. We are the, the hands and feet of Jesus to you, to the congregation. We do hospital visits and grief counseling. We, we bring meals. We do mentoring. Uh, so much stuff that we do in the care team. But today, we continue in our study of uh, the book of Proverbs. And you know, you know what I'm going to ask, right? Uh, how many people have been reading a proverb a day? Wow, look at that. All right. Good for you. Reading a proverb every day. It's, there's 31 proverbs. So you read a proverb every day. When you get to the end of the month, you go all the way back to the beginning. If you skip a day, if you miss a day, that's okay. You go on to the next one. Today is uh, uh, February 18th. So the proverb today I, I read in, 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 the, in verse 2 of Proverbs 18, it says, A fool does not delight in understanding but in revealing his own mind. I love that. Uh, you all know that guy, right? He never hears anything, but he's quick to talk, and he never stops talking. Um, and there was a time in my life when people had to tell me, stop talking, man. Stop talking. You need to shut up and listen. So I read a chapter a day. I remember the man who encouraged me to read a proverb a day, Mr. King, in 1978. So I challenge you to read a chapter in Proverbs every day. It's a great practice, unless uh, you can't, right? Somebody says, well, I can't. Um, I don't know what that means. Uh, you can't read or you can't find Proverbs. 
That's a matter of ability. We can help you with that. Um, I, and I, I have a hard time understanding people who can read, but don't read. That's a mystery to me. And if you can read and you don't read God's word, well, that's a different story. See, that's a matter of, I won't. And that's a matter of the heart. And so you need to change your heart because wisdom, which is revealed in God's word, is not reserved for those who wish. Gee, I wish I could be wise. I wish I knew more of God's word. It's not reserved for those who hope. I'm hoping I get wisdom. If you live long enough, you'll get some wisdom, right? John Maxwell says, we should become old and wise, but sometimes old shows up alone. Wisdom is not reserved for those who casually seek. Solomon tells us in the proverb today, it's reserved for those who pursue and persevere it diligently. And today we start looking at uh, Proverbs chapter 2. It's, it, 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 it actually, in the Hebrew, it's a beautiful poem. And, and it talks about the development of wise character, how wise character is developed, and the defense against the wicked. We'll look at the first part today, the first five verses in Proverbs chapter 2. If you can turn to Proverbs chapter 2. He says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and then you will find the knowledge of God. There's three things that Solomon tells us here in this short passage. And number one, we must be receptive to wisdom. Number two, we must be responsive to wisdom. And number three, we must be resolute in pursuing wisdom. It's actually, it's, it's an if-then proposition, right? You know the if-then propositions? If you walk off the, the edge of the building, then you're going to fall. That's an if-then proposition. And he says, if you'll be receptive, if you'll be responsive, if you'll be resolute, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Then you will find the knowledge of God. And there's some key words that Solomon uses here in this passage. Is that receive, treasure, incline, apply, cry out, seek, and search. So number one, we must be receptive. If you will receive my words, he says in verse one. So what's the difference between hearing advice and receiving advice? We have some people who are experts at telling, right? But not receiving. Uh, best advice I ever received was uh, a man told me in 1978, read something in or about the Bible every single day. I received that and all these years later, I still follow that. And he told me to get a mentor or an accountability partner and receive some, win some wisdom. Folks, have a mentor. Mentor up. Have someone check your profile of God. Have someone check the path you're taking. Be accountable to someone. There's a difference between hearing and receiving. I heard instruction from my dad all my life, daily. 
I heard instructions. Some was good, some was, wow, I can't believe he said that. But the problem is, he had a terrible delivery. See, my father would start his advice with, are you stupid? See, everything after that, you're not hearing. You're not really receiving anything after that. That's the way he delivered it, and so I didn't receive. Now, I look back at some of the things he said, if I could overlook how he delivered it. I say, well, yeah, he was giving me some wisdom there. I want to share lyrics from a song with you. It's, it's, it's written by this guy, David Wilcox. It's called The View from the Edge. And there's one verse where he refers to the 9-11 victims, those who were in the building before it fell. And, and, and to hear the song, it's a beautiful song, but to receive the message that he's giving you in that song, that the verse goes, like the ones up on the towers who really feel its sway, and they're dashed against the railing, and the railing breaks away. And they're hanging by the wreckage, and they feel it start to give. If they had the time to tell you, they could tell you how to live. If at that moment, facing imminent death, they would have a perspective on life that they tell you how to live, that what's important and what's not important. At that moment, that's such a great song, such great wisdom when I received that message. Receiving is more than hearing. It's taking it to heart. When Mr. King told me in 1978, when he baptized me, read something in or about the Bible every day, I took it to heart and I received it. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells the parable of the sower. And it's not the nature of the seed. Jesus explains it's the nature and the character of the soil that receives the seed. That's right. And for the soil that can receive good seed, it will yield good fruit. 100 fold, he says. And what does he say? For him who has ears to hear, let him hear it. You know, for years I had the right seeds. I read the right books. I went to the right conferences. I listened to the right tapes. But I had the wrong soil in my soul. You see, I believed God's promises. I just didn't believe they were true for me. What does your soil look like? How many here feel that God is all in in their lives? God's all in in your life. See, for so many years, I didn't believe that God was all in on my life. He was all in on your life, but not my life. But if God's all in on your life, how many of you are all in on the life that God has given you? Because you've got a responsibility for him being all in. You've got to be all in too. Solomon says, treasure my commands within you. Matthew Henry in his commentary on the Bible, it says, we must hide them with us as we do our treasures, which we are afraid of being robbed of. We must not only receive, but retain the word of God and lodge it in our hearts that it may be always ready for us. Again, Jesus says in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up Then in his joy, he sells everything and buys that field. Are you all in 
on what God has in for you. The infinite value of God's wisdom is in that book. Are you willing to dig it up? I want to show you a picture. So these are my grandchildren, right? Yes, I know. Look, they're better looking than your grandchildren. I know, okay, but that's all right. I, but that's okay, your kids are good too. Um, our granddaughters, my wife and I treasure them more than anything, really. It's not just we love them. We treasure them because they're God's gift. And in fact, we have the great privilege of teaching them God's word, and they soak it up and love it. We're able to share the treasure that God has put in our souls. You know, the Hebrew word that Solomon uses for treasure is, is uh, sapon, and it, and it means to safeguard something that is valuable. I don't safeguard my dirty socks. Nobody wants them. Well, maybe somebody does, but I, no, you know, nobody, my wife doesn't want them. But he tells us to safeguard the things, these words so that we can utilize them in a time of need. Because you know what? There's going to be a time when you need that. There's going to be a time when you need the assurance of God. There's going to be a time when you need the wisdom and the guidance of God. And we must be receptive and treasure it because we're going to need it. The psalmist in, one, in Psalm 119, he says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word of God keeps us on the right path. Second, we must be responsive. Solomon says, incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Now, the Hebrew word for wisdom is kokmah. I don't speak ancient Hebrew, but as close as I can get. But it means to, to follow the best course of action based on the knowledge and understanding. The greatest definition of wisdom is, uh, that I've read is by J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, where he says, wisdom, and I used to have it, I had it written on a card, it was on my desk for 30 years, I had that on my desk. It said, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. I love that. Because if you take that apart, you see the target of wisdom is the best and highest goal. What is the best and highest goal in any situation for you? Some people don't see it. They don't even see the best and highest goal. You have to be intentional. You have to have eyes to see the best and highest goal. Sometimes you need a guide. Sometimes you need people to say, hey man, no, that's not the best thing for you. This is the best thing for you. And some people see it, but they're not inclined to choose it. I love that. I'm just not inclined. I know what the best and highest goal for me. You know, it's like, I know I shouldn't smoke, but um, just not inclined to, to quit. My friend Paul, he smoked. Every time you saw him, man, he had a cigarette. Every time you saw him, he had a cigarette. He died with a cigarette in his mouth, shoveling, shoveling snow. He knew the best and highest goal was to quit smoking, but he wasn't inclined to choose that. What are the barriers you have to change, right? To choose, to be inclined to choose the best and highest goal. What keeps us from that? John Maxwell says that people change in four different seasons. When they hurt enough that they have to. When there's enough pain to move you to change. When they see enough that they're inspired to. When they learn enough that they want to. And when they receive enough 
that they're able to. The four seasons of change. When do you recognize the best and highest goal? Sometimes when you're at your lowest and your soul is inclined to choose it. Then you need to figure out the best and surest way of achieving it, and that's work. Solomon says, incline your ear to wisdom. Be someone who's open to hear wisdom. Ask yourself, is my ear inclined to wisdom? Am I open to the wisdom that people are taking? Am I someone inclined to hear? And then next he says, not only hear it, not only receive it, not only treasure it, but apply your heart to understanding it. Think about it. Let it sink in and comprehend it. Oswald Chambers writes, if there's anything hidden from us as disciples today, it is because we are not in a fit state to understand it. As soon as we become fit in spiritual character, the thing is revealed. It is concealed at God's discretion until life is developed sufficiently. You ever find that? I say, man, I didn't see that 10 years ago. I see it now. Because our life was not developed sufficiently. Are we mature enough? Are we fit enough to receive the wisdom that God has for us? Solomon says we must apply it to our hearts. We must come to the place where we realize that our wisdom and our knowledge is incomplete. I don't know everything. Almost everything. Like I say, well, you know, I've shared with you before. I tell my kids, you know what? I'm not 100% right. But I am so close to 100% right that if you just follow what I say, you're, not just, you're just not going to go wrong. He's telling us that God reveals his life-renewing and life-sustaining power and it's reserved for those who will embrace it and pursue it. It just doesn't come. We don't drift in to wisdom. Understand it and apply it to our lives so we will achieve emotional and spiritual maturity. And that's what Oswald Chambers is talking about, that the life is developed sufficiently. That's where elite people live, right? Watch this video. You know, we have about five choices, you know, in our life. You know, we can be bad at what we do. I mean, we can be average at what we do. I mean, we can be good at what we do, which probably is God's expectation for whatever ability he gave us. Or we can be excellent, or we can be elite. Right? And everybody has a choice as to what they want to do and how they want to do that. But if you're going to be excellent or elite, right, you got to do special things. You have to have special intensity. You have to have special focus. You have to have uh, a special commitment and drive and passion right, to do things at a high level and a high standard all the time. Right? And it doesn't matter what God-given ability that you have. Um, that probably can make you good. But without the rest of it, I'm not sure you ever get excellent or elite. And that, that's the part that we're trying to get to. I want to be elite in God's kingdom. I, I, want to, I want to possess God's elite wisdom. And if you want that, you must pursue it. Exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about athletics. But that's really life. You must pursue it if you want to be elite in God's wisdom. Be someone of, of purpose in the world. And, 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 and response to that, Solomon says, you got to cry out for discernment and you got to lift up your voice for understanding. 
James in his letter, he says, but if, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If we cry out to God, he will give it. He's not going to say, eh, we're all out. Terrence got all the wisdom I got. There's nothing left. Come back next week. Maybe we're getting a shipment on Thursday, right? You ever hear that? We got a shipment on Thursday. That's not God's. God has it all. And he liberally gives it out. It is right there for you. He is poised to share his wisdom with you if we will cry out. Why don't you have it? Why don't I have it? Because I haven't asked for it. I haven't pursued it. Warren Wiersbe says, obtaining spiritual wisdom isn't a once-in-a-week hobby. It's a daily discipline of a lifetime. That's why I ask you to read a proverb every single morning. Guy signs up for a gym. After six months, he complains to the owner. You know what? I belong to this gym for six months. I paid. I see no results. And gym owner looks. He says, you've only come once. <laughs> you got to go every day. You have to search for wisdom every day. I have a coach. I have a personal coach. I pay him. He keeps me on task. Each time we meet, the first thing he says is, let's go over the homework. I'm accountable for my progress. I have goals and I have a vision of where I want to go. He coaches me to get there. But I'm expected to do the homework. I'm expected to do the work. Solomon says, cry out for discernment. Lift up your voice for understanding. We don't drift into this spiritual maturity. We got to ask ourselves, how earnest am I about this? How passionate am I to grow in God? Have you ever cried out to God like this, asking for discernment or insight in a particular matter? In this one voice, we teach you to go from reaction to direction. Because we've reacted all our lives, right? You get into a situation and you react. But we teach you how to direct. That you step back, take some breaths, and ask for God and direction in this particular situation. Every situation does not require an immediate response. If we're going to pursue wisdom, we must embrace her companions. And that is discernment and understanding. Webster defines discernment as the power or faculty of the mind by which it distinguishes one thing from another as truth from falsehood, virtue from vice. And you grow in wisdom. You can, you know, you have a guy, you're talking to him, and you're like, brother, that don't sound right. And you know why it don't sound right? Because it ain't. Psalm 119 says, let me cry, come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Cry out for understanding and discernment. And third, we must be resolute. Did you notice the progressive rise in intensity in this passage? If you will receive, if you will treasure, if you will make your ear attentive, if you will incline your heart, if you will cry out and lift your voice, if you will seek and search, he says, if you seek for her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, 
That's resolve. That's desperation. The search for wisdom is described as a whole person holding nothing back, all out endeavor. It involves listening, obeying, diligence, and passion. And you need to understand the value of wisdom to search for it as hidden treasure. Some people don't see the value in wisdom, and so they don't dig. I get it, right? You won't pay the price if you don't appreciate the payoff. But there are some people, when we tell them, there's treasure in that field, right there, there's treasure in that field. Somewhere down there, there's a load of treasure. Guaranteed. They won't dig. And they run when we hand them a shovel. They don't want to work for it. Solomon says, you got to have the resolve to dig for wisdom. It doesn't just happen. And this one voice we use, the the wisdom of this guy, Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N. If you ever have a chance, look him up on YouTube. It's the formula for effective change. And what he says, it's as simple as this. If you want your life to change, you got to change. But if you will change, everything will change for you. Listen, everybody around you, they ain't changing. The crazy people in your life, they ain't changing. They don't think they're crazy. As a matter of fact, they think you're the crazy person in their life. But we have the pillars of change that we go over every single week in this one voice. The first one is disgust. When you come to a point, you say, I just don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to think this way anymore. I am tired of the relationships I get in. The second one is decision. What needs to be done? Where do I got to go? What do I got to read? Who do I got to listen to? The third is desire. Help you create a vision for the future. This is the person I want to become. And so every day becomes a step towards that person. And the last is diligence and resolve. No matter what. We talk about treasure the ground you've gained. Don't give up any ground. Solomon begins with, if you'll receive, if you will treasure, if you will make your ear attentive to, if you will incline your heart, if you will cry and lift your voice, if you will seek and search, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Then you will find the knowledge of God. That's the payoff, to grow in that way to understand what it means to fear God and finding God and understanding about God. There's a passage in 2 Samuel that was always a mystery to me. Um, in, in chapter 6, there's a story about when David has uh, the, the, the Israelites bring the ark back to him. And um, so he has this guy, Uzzah, bring the, uh, the ark of the covenant back. And a group of men were bringing back the ark and David has him put it in a new card. It says it's a new card. Doesn't use an old card. He uses a new card. And in David's excitement, he doesn't follow God's directions on how to bring the ark. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, it says, But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of the covenant, and took hold of it because the ox nearly overturned it. 
And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. So I had taken an Old Testament uh, survey class in college, and I came upon this account. And, and that week I was meeting with my pastor, and I said, what's, this, what's up with God? What's the story there? I mean, he's a little drastic, isn't he, with Uzzah? I mean, the guy's only trying to do the right thing. The ark is going to fall, so he reaches out to, 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 to hold it, and God strikes him dead. And my pastor said, hey, man, listen to this, Terrence. God's serious about being holy. God's serious about being holy and the things he calls holy. You get that? God is serious about being holy. In Deuteronomy, God had given explicit instructions on how the ark should be transported and who could transport it. It doesn't matter that it was a new cart. Hey, we got a new cart. We got a new cart for you. Or that Uzzah had good intentions. They violated what God had told them to do. God is serious about being holy. And sometimes we approach life and we forget this. We don't understand. See, we convince ourselves that God's going to understand my defenses, right? Well, I did this because, you know, it's going to fall. Let me tell you something. And this is what I've learned. There's going to be none of that. There's going to be none of that with God. Do we understand? You know, my dad had a, had a long-running feud with his sister. They didn't talk. They wouldn't talk for years. They'd be in the same room, standing next to each other. wouldn't say anything to each other. And then when my dad was sick and he was dying, I told him, hey, man, you got to call Aunt Helen. You got to straighten this out. And he said, now, and this is his voice, really. No, Terrence, I'm the older brother. I don't have to call. What, are you, what is that? Who, who made that up? Sequoiaks have our whole different rules. So I, I called my aunt. I said, Aunt Helen, man, your brother's dying. You got to patch this up. Give him a call. And she said, I'm the younger sister. I don't have to call. Yeah, they are insane. I know if you're thinking that, they were insane. So I brought my Bible to my dad. And I read him this verse, this uh, passage from Matthew. But Jesus says, for if you give, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. And I said, dad, do you, do you believe these words of Jesus? Yes, I do. I said, well, you better take them to heart, man. Because I'll tell you what, I don't know for sure but I'm pretty sure you're going to see Jesus before Aunt Helen. So you better come up with a better excuse than I'm the older brother. You see, I love what Francis Chan says. God's not bluffing. He ain't bluffing. It's not going to be that my father's going to get there and face God and Jesus is going to say, you're the older brother, Andy. You don't have to forgive him. There will be none of that. There will be none of that. You did not forgive sins. And I guess that weighed heavy on him because the next morning I brought him his breakfast. He said, I called your aunt last night and he made his peace with her. Yeah, amen. 
John Bevere says in his book, The Awe of God, our holy fear grows proportionally to our comprehension of God's glory. You see, we may not be afraid of God because we do not comprehend his glory. We do not think that he's serious about being holy. That's why Solomon says, follow hard after it. Your, your eternity depends on it. We, we shouldn't be flippant. You know, I, I've been flippant in, 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 in the way I conduct my life or the things that I think about or the things that I say. My counsel once said to me, you know, you can be abrupt. So I punched her in the face. I said, now you know abrupt. That's abrupt. But our decisions are controllable. But the consequences of those decisions are not controllable. My father could choose not to forgive. But the consequences of that are not controllable by him. That is the truth. See, the wicked think God's not watching us. He's closed his eyes and he won't see what we do. But that's not true. There will be none of that. Again, from the book, The Awe of God by John Bevere. It's a great new book. He says, the one who lacks holy fear easily succumbs to this force and slips into the mindset of believing that God doesn't take notice or care about what they do. Thoughts begin to form such as, hey, I'm an exception. I'm exempt. I'm no different than most. God overlooks my motives, words, or actions all the way to there's just too much going on for him to keep track of it. There will be none of that. Hey, God, you don't understand. I wasn't happy. You don't understand. Good luck with that. Remember what Pastor Matthew said last week. The progression, right? It starts with the defection. I want what I want. God wants me to be happy. No, God wants you to be holy. You can be happy in that. It starts with the defection. And then it goes to the deception. God's going to make an exception for me. He'll, I, wait till he hears my excuse. And then it ends with the doctrines of demons, right? Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? You have the liberty to sin. So you have to, you are responsible for your decisions, but not the consequences of those decisions. When we come to a point where we tolerate sin as something other than sin, it's just a matter of time till we embrace it and we figure out our own excuses why we live in it. You already know God's mind on this. You're not left to creating your own profile, God. We're not left to that. In closing, Solomon tells us, be receptive to my word. Be receptive. Have an ear for it. Be responsive. Apply it to your life. And be resolute. Dig and ask and beg God for his wisdom. And then you'll understand the, word, the fear of God. And then you will embrace the holiness of God. 
I've asked Katie to sing a closing song, and she's so graciously. Her first day back, I gave her extra work. It's written by this Anglican group, City of Light. It's such, I want you to just let the words, receive the words, right? Let it just come on your heart. And the chorus says, Oh, your love, my God, like a flood, as heaven opened up, pouring out on us, Oh, praise the King who came to the world in his love like a mighty flood. Be receptive to the truths in the song. Be responsive and reply these truths to your heart and be resolute that no matter what, I will cry out for God's wisdom. Bow your heads for a blessing. We'll have prayer up front after the service, if you want to pray with someone that should prepare your hearts. And I love this blessing that Paul gives to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter three. I pray that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Amen. Let me just tell you, don't leave today without understanding the holy fear of God, without having in your heart the holiness of God and what he expects from us.